While our children's choir is exiting the stage, if you'd take out your Bibles and turn to page uh, probably 821, the little tiny book of Micah. It's a wonderful prophetic book. You know, sometimes I think when we say things like Christ is born, it's almost like something that we're repeating because it's something we say at Christmas time. It's rather like when people use the three-word phrase, Jesus Christ is Lord. You know, sometimes we don't quite get the enormity of the words that we're actually saying. And so in this case, Christ is born. Today is our first installment, three parts. We'll have another one tonight and another one next Sunday. Christ is born, Prince of Peace. You see, when you say Jesus Christ is Lord, you're actually saying Yahoshua, which is God of salvation, Christ, which is the anointed one, the Messiah, Mashiach, Lord, which is Adonai, or Yahweh Adonai, which means he's master. You're really saying that God is salvation, who is the one who completed the plan of God for saving mankind, and he's my master. It's not his first, middle, and last name. So when you say Christ is born, what are you actually saying? Who is this Christ child? This first installment, the Prince of Peace. You know, we live in a world and in a time when peace is a very, very difficult commodity. Our president just a little over a week ago announced that, at least as far as the United States is concerned, we'd be moving our embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem. Amen? That, by the way, is exactly what Scripture declares, and it does so in Second Chronicles chapter 6, verses 5 and 6. And there King Solomon is actually being quoted as speaking uh, for God. And it says, since the day that I brought my people out of the land of Egypt, referring to the Exodus. Remember from the Exodus, they came into the land of conquest under Joshua. Moses stayed uh, in, in the wilderness and died there. But as they came in, God said this about them. I chose no city in all of the tribes of Israel in which to build a house that my name might be there. And I chose no man as a prince over my people Israel. In other words, God didn't have a preference until he made the next choice, which comes in verse 6. But I have chosen Jerusalem, that my name may be there, and I have chosen David to be over my people Israel. So from God's perspective, he intended a kingdom of peace, he intended a kingdom of righteousness, and he intended... For Jerusalem to be exactly its namesake, a city of peace. But today it is anything but. Just yesterday, our time, Turkey responded by saying they're moving their embassy into East Jerusalem. Into the portion that's ruled by the Palestinian Liberation Organization. And in fact, the Temple Mount itself isn't even governed by the nation Israel. It's governed by the Grand Mufti of Jerusalem. An appointment that's made by the King of Jordan. And yet, 
this Christ who is born is also the Prince of Peace. And his ways are from eternity and everlasting. So when you say Christ is born, you're talking about a very specific individual. You see, sometimes you make Jesus this time of year into this little babe that's in a manger. That little babe in the manger is also the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. He is the great I Am. He is Jehovah Rapha, our God who heals. He is Jehovah Sidkenu, our God who is righteousness. He is Jehovah Jireh, our God who is our provider. He is the lion of the tribe of Judah. You see, when you say Christ is born, who is your Christ? Our first installment, I'm going to encourage you to read this whole book this week. It's a whopping six and a half pages. Shouldn't be too tough. Not a large reading assignment. But as you read the book of Micah, we're going to focus in on chapter 5. And before we read the word, would you pray with me and we'll ask God to bless us as we read. Father, we are so grateful that, in fact, Jesus came into this world that the world through him would be saved. And Lord, this time of year when we celebrate the coming of the Christ child, that you, Jesus, would put off the glories of heaven and come to this planet, planet that you made to people that are your creation, to give your life a ransom for us. Lord, we owe you everything. You are, in fact, the greatest gift ever given. And Father God, you gave your only begotten Son that whoever would believe in you, Jesus, would not perish but have everlasting life. And so Lord, as we read your word, would you bless us with understanding and knowledge. Help us to grow. We thank you for our Lord, our Savior, Jesus, who is the Christ, who is born. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Verse 1, Micah chapter 5. And now gather together yourself in troops, O daughter of troops. And this actually alludes back to the time when the children of Israel had gone into the wilderness. They'd been delivered that first Passover Eve from the bondage of the Egyptians. They had traveled to the wilderness of sin, which is the modern day area of the Sinai in Saudi Arabia. And as they wandered there, in order to give them some sense of organization, the Lord did a couple of things. And one of them was that he instituted worship of him in the tent of the tabernacle of meeting. And so they built this beaver skin tent and put up this linen fence that enclosed the Ark of the Covenant, uh, wherein was Aaron's rod that budded and this pot of manna, and on top of it, the mercy seat, and their dwelling in the mercy seat, right above it, was the presence of God. Pillar of fire at night, and a cloud by day. And around this amazing site, there in the middle of the wilderness, there in Temna, the children of Israel gathered together, organized into troops. Three of the tribes would be to the east, three to the west, three to the north, 
and three to the south. So it's very clear that Micah is talking about this group called the Israelites that came out of the bondage in, in Egypt and were delivered by God. It is to them that he writes, and he says he has laid siege against us and will strike the judge of Israel on the with the rod on the cheek. And if you remember, one of the things that happens to Jesus as he is tried is he's actually smitten with the rod. He's beaten. And eventually that rod will be given to him to be used as, a, as his royal scepter. And so there's a very specific person that's in view that is going to be the ruler of all Israel... And then we're given some very specific details about the Christ who was born. Because Christ is Messiah, the one that the Jewish people were looking for. And as we journey through John's gospel, we get to chapter 7, we're actually going to find Jesus debating with a group of members of the Sanhedrin, this religious uh, ruling leadership that judged all things according to Scripture. And they will actually quote, this passage is not the Messiah to be born in Bethlehem because they believed that's where the Messiah was going to be born. Verse 2, but you, Bethlehem of Paphra, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, and he says Judah, notice he doesn't say Israel, because at this time, 686 B.C., Micah is writing at the same time as Amos, Hosea, and Isaiah. The tribes are still broken up into their regions, and in the north there are 11 tribes, everyone except Judah. But in the south, you have this one little tribe, which happens to also be the kingly tribe. The tribe from which David, the great king, will come. And it is not only he that will come from Bethlehem, but the king of kings, the Lord of lords, the Messiah, the Lord of glory as well. And yet out of you, though you're little, shall come forth to me the one to be the ruler in Israel. You see, right now, Israel has a prime minister. It has a a parliament, the Knesset. But there's one who's going to come one day and rule over them. And we get a little description about him here. Whose goings forth are from old, from everlasting. And therefore, he shall give them up until the time that she who is in labor is given birth. And the remnant of his his brethren shall return to the children of Israel. The Jewish people now are in the land. The Jewish people have returned to Israel. There, There are Israelites in the land called Zion, the land of promise. They're there. And he shall stand and feed his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. Remember that Jesus declared that God was his father. It's one of the things that got him in trouble. And so here it's very clear that this passage 
is writing about somebody who's going to be born in Bethlehem who will one day be the ruler over Israel whose father will be God. It's kind of starting to get pretty narrow. And they shall abide. For now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and this one shall be peace. Prince of Peace. As we study these very familiar passages year in, year out, every Christmas, there's only so many Christmas passages. You know, people always say, well, you know, are you going to do a Christmas message? Sure, I'm going to do a Christmas message. They'll ask me what, and I'm from the book of Micah. They're, well, Micah, why not Luke? Well, we'll do Luke tonight. You see, the Christmas story did not start in the Gospels. The Christmas story actually began in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15. The seed of the woman. The book of Genesis, one of the reasons that when we have Josh McDowell here, by the way, that's only two weeks from this Thursday, you were all invited. I want to strongly encourage you to be here for this because he's bringing with him the second oldest Torah scroll in existence in the entire world. And that scroll has the book of Genesis as its beginning. That scroll has these messianic passages in them. Genesis 3.15, Genesis 49.10, the one who is Shiloh who will come, and of his government which will be peace, there shall be no end. You see, The story of the Christ who was born is from Genesis to Revelation. The Christmas story, the reason we celebrate Christmas, is not just the gospel accounts of the birth of Jesus and the Magi and the shepherds, though those are an integral part of the story. That story is much bigger than that. And so here we have this special town that's mentioned, Bethlehem, of a Pratha, this little tiny shepherd's village. And if you travel to Israel today, it's actually in the West Bank. It's the home of Rachel's tomb. It was then a very tiny town, an insignificant town, a place that was known for shepherds, and a place that when you visited there, the only thing remarkable about it was that it was not remarkable. It was one of thousands. It was just a little tiny shepherding village. It was a place where there was some water and people gathered together. And so the inn that was being talked about was more like what you and I would call a stable with a house attached to it. And that house was probably a single room. And it's likely that the manger that we uh, kind of have modernized somewhat was likely just a cave. But it was a special town. And from that town would come the one who is the ruler over all Israel. You ever wondered why the Apostle Paul, when he wrote to the church at Rome there in chapter 11, he was being so very specific that one day all Israel will be saved? Because one day all Israel is going to come to know Messiah, the Christ. 
the one who was born in Bethlehem. The one whom the ninth chapter of Isaiah, and we'll cover this next Sunday, declares about him that he is wonderful and counselor and mighty God and everlasting Father and, oh yeah, the Prince of Peace. You see, when you say Christ is born and you say Jesus was born in Bethlehem, you're not just echoing the words of that Christmas carol. O little town of Bethlehem, how still we see thee lie. You see, when Philip Brooks wrote that song, he was thinking of the whole picture. Because in that little town was born the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Yes, he was a baby, and yes, he was born in a manger, but that baby was also Emmanuel, God with us. So when you say, Christ is born, it's a little more than a Christmas slogan, isn't it? It's not just a nicety. It's not something we just kind of toss out there, you know, maybe in the month of December each year. Christ is born is our rallying cry. Christ is born is how we came to know Him personally. He put off the glories of heaven and came to this little manger in this mangy town. But that town was also the town to which Ruth and Naomi came where they met Boaz, who was a type of Christ, the kinsman redeemer. That same little town is the place that Jacob and Rachel went and bore their sons, the first one, Ben-Ome, the son of my sorrow, and then Benjamin, the son of my right hand, the two pieces of the character of Christ. He was a man of sorrow, despised. The chastisement of our peace was placed upon him. But it was through him that we would have peace with God, and he now sits at the right hand of God the Father. You see, Bethlehem's always been important. It's always been a special town. It is from Bethlehem that, in fact, the reason the the genealogies in Matthew and Luke are so important is they trace the birth of Jesus, the lineage of Jesus, not just back to Adam, but back to David. Because the Messiah has to be both king and priest. The kingly line is Judah. So Bethlehem is also David's city. It's a special town. Herod knew where to send his warriors to try and kill off the the young, the young males of that time. Because he had talked to the Jewish priests. He says, well, where is this Messiah supposed to be born? Bethlehem. They were looking for this child king. But that child king is our Emmanuel. Think about it for a second. That babe in a manger was God incarnate in human flesh. That is what the name Emmanuel means. When you sang that, O come, O come, Emmanuel, you were saying, God from heaven, come to earth and be with us. You're not saying, oh, that's a cute baby. 
Yes, Jesus glowed. He, he glowed because He was God incarnate in human flesh. But He was still a baby. Because the prophet Isaiah told us that He would be both the child who is born to Mary and Joseph, but He's also the Son who is given the reason that John 3.16 makes sense. John 3.16 makes no sense without Isaiah chapter 7. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever would believe in Him should not perish but have everlasting life only makes sense because Isaiah's prophecy was He is the child who was born and the Son who is given. You see, so when you say the Christ who was born, you're talking about the history of the God-man. Now, I like you guys, but if I was in heaven, I don't think I'm coming back here. I'm going to stay there, but that's exactly what the Christ child did. God sent His own Son to a manger in a mangy town called Bethlehem. Which means house of bread, by the way. So one of the I am statements of Christ, I am the bread of life from the city of bread. The house of bread. When you look back on the history of it, kinsman and redeemer, that's speaking of Messiah. David, the last king. Pretty specific baby born in that manger. Amen? But he came to restore peace. And like I said, if you read this this whole little book, yes, he's Emmanuel, but he came for a purpose. You know, when Jesus came to this world, he came so that we might have life. You see, we're looking for peace right now. As I shared with you, the Middle East could erupt into war at any moment. It's just a fact. That could happen before we even leave service today. There could be a full-blown nuclear exchange in the Middle East. And while I'm not being a prophet of doom here, I'm simply saying there is going to come a time when the only real peace is going to happen. Because it didn't come from the League of Nations. That peace didn't come from the Balfour Declaration. That peace has not come from the UN. That peace has not come from the Camp David Accords. That peace has not come from any one of thousands of pieces of legislation and treaties that have been authored and written, the peace will not come until the Prince of Peace comes. And when he comes, he's bringing peace. Because he's the prince of it. So this child is born in Bethlehem. He's also the Prince of Peace. The one who will rightly judge all things. Right now, people are looking for some type of political uh, treaty to, to, to bring peace in the Middle East. And while it's a, certainly an, an absolutely noble goal, and, and, I, 
and I personally wish that well. I, I pray that there is a peace. I pray that no more loss of life. Your Bible's very specific, though. That one day, this same baby that was born in the manger is coming back, and they are going to hear him. Look at chapter 4. Look at chapter 4, back one chapter, chapter 4, here in the book of Micah. And now it shall come to pass in the latter days. The days that this was written in were not the latter days. We are now in the latter days. The very people spoken of in chapter 5 are now there. They're in Israel. They've returned to the land as a remnant. They were scattered all over the globe. They're back there now. In those latter days, at the mountain of the Lord's house, that would be Mount Zion. That would be Mount Moriah. That would be the Temple Mount is what's in view. The mountain of the Lord's house shall be established on the top of the mountains, exalted above the hills, and the people shall flow to it. If you travel to Jerusalem today, there's something I can tell you that you won't find on the Temple Mount. That's a temple to the Lord. You'll find three mosques. But you will not find a temple to the God of Jacob. Notice verse 2. Many nations shall come and say, Come, let us go up onto the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. You ceased being able to go to that house in AD 70. So nearly 2,000 years ago. And yet it says in the last days that you'll be able to go there and actually go up on the Temple Mount and, oh, by the way, go and worship in the house of the Lord. For he will teach us his ways and will walk in his paths. For out of Zion the law shall go forth and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. Now, you can get all kinds of words when you go to Jerusalem. But the one that's hardest to find right now is the word of the Lord. You'll get political words. You'll get all kinds of ecumenical word. You'll get all kinds of things. But if you go onto the Temple Mount today, you will not get the word of the Lord. You may get arrested if you try and preach the word of the Lord. It almost happened to me. If you go up and pray... In Hebrew, you will go to jail. If you attempt to have a Jewish prayer service on the Temple Mount, ditto, you will also go to jail. So your Bible says that there's one who's going to come, and that one who's going to come is going to restore the reading of the word of the God of Jacob from the mountain of the Lord in his house. For he shall judge between many peoples and rebuke the strong, the nations that are afar off. And notice this. And this is one way that we know this has not yet come to pass. Because if anything in this passage is evidently clear, it's that there is not this kind of peace in that area of the world right now. They shall beat their swords into plowshares. Right now they're beating their swords into AK-47s and AR-14s and tanks and rockets and everything else there are spears into pruning hooks and nation shall not lift up sword against nation and neither shall they learn of war anymore until the prince of peace comes 
and people begin to be taught by him in Jerusalem. You see, when you say Christ is born, you're talking about this peace bringer. The one that today is not ruling in Jerusalem, but he's coming again. He came the first time as a babe in a manger. Ultimately, to give his life a ransom for many to die on Calvary's cross so that we could have a relationship with God, be forgiven of our sins, and be taken home to heaven one day. But the next time he comes back, he's coming back as the Prince of Peace, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, the one who's going to take care of all the mess that's going on in our world. So when you say Christ is born, make sure you have the whole picture in view. Sometimes he's just a little, you know, he's kind of like a little plaster baby. And we take him out of a box and we put him out on a table along with a couple of donkeys and the three wise men, Mary and Joseph, generally. A couple of sheep. When you say Christ is born, you're talking about the Lord of glory. You're talking about the King of the universe. You're talking about the great I Am. You're talking about Creator God, the one who knit you together and formed you, who knew your days before there were any. That's our Christ. You know, sometimes people say to me, well, I don't think we should celebrate Christmas. It's just been too materialized. And while I agree, there is some truth to that. It has become too materialized. And there's a great equivocation between Santa and Satan. But, you know, if you look at those letters, they're similar. Just messing with you. Now, people think of those things. But it's the one time of the year that we can go, Christ is born! And then begin to tell people about Him. He's not the little baby in your manger scene. He's the Prince of Peace. He's the Lord of Glory. He's Emmanuel. He's the Savior of the world. He's my King. He's the Lord of heaven and earth. He's the one that will restore Zion. He's the one that's going to fix all this mess. He's the one that's going to take our chaos and turn it into peace. And praise the Lord for we who know the Lord. We're going to spend a little time off this rock before he comes back and finishes this work. But praise God, he's going to bring peace because he is the Prince of Peace. He's the Father of your eternity. why this birth announcement is so important. That's why when you look at these passages, there's, there are 486 of them in the Old Testament. And when you think of that many pieces of information being spoken about, reminding yourself that the book of Job, which is actually the storyline, is the oldest in the Bible. 
You're talking about 3,500 years before Christ. And all these little tiny windows. The story of the seed of the woman is told in the context near Adam and Eve. That's a picture of the virgin birth. That king's birth announcement has been made known to man since the beginning. The ark that Noah gets into is a picture of our salvation. The actual word that's used for pitch is the word covering. It's to atone for. It is kifor. God atoned for the sins of Noah and those that were with him inside of the ark. He covered their sin and they survived. It's all a picture of the Christ who is born. People look at their Bibles like, okay, well, I want to find the the parts about Jesus. It's the whole thing. It's not like part of it's about Jesus and the rest of it's kind of just stuff. Cover to cover, it's the story of redemption. It's how God has mapped out from the beginning that Christ would be born. It's this beautiful picture. A prophecy of Zechariah 14. The Lord shall be king over all the earth, and in that day it shall be the Lord is one and His name one. Right now, that's not true. But it is true that one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. Both Isaiah and Paul said that. One day. It's coming. It is true, as Genesis 49.10 says, the scepter shall not depart from Judah. You're thinking to yourself, well, there's no king in Judah. But there is the remnant of that one bloodline. Think about it. Out of all the preserved bloodlines on the earth that have ever existed, there's only one that can be traced all the way back to Adam and back to King David, and that's the lineage of Jesus. He is the lion of the tribe of Judah. From the little town of Bethlehem. That's why it's in there. Christ is born. It is Him. Throughout their history, all the Jewish rabbis, without contest, said that this passage in chapter 5 of Micah was... That's where the Messiah is going to be born. And again, we get to chapter 7 in John. You're going to see this. Jesus actually says to them, well, what do you think about this? Oh, well, that's, that's Messiah. They actually admit to it. It's the reason the Magi knew where to go. This passage. You see, so when you say Christ is born... This ruler will be Christ. You see, it's Christ that's the good shepherd. This little shepherding village, it was a picture for everybody. So when Jesus says, I am the good shepherd, the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. You see, the good shepherd sees the 90 and 9 and leaves them and goes, 
after the one, aren't you thankful for Christ who was born, who's the good shepherd? Came after me. That was no bargain on his part. He went through a lot of headache to search down this one. He is the good shepherd, exactly as Micah reminds us. He's going to come from the shepherding village. He is the Christ who's the Prince of Peace, exactly as verse 5 says here in Micah, but it's the same thing in Isaiah 9, 6. He is my peace. The reason we can have peace in the storm is not because the storm is over. It's because Christ is with us in the storm. Amen? It's the Christ who is born. He's in it with us. People think, well, if he just calm all my storms. He doesn't calm every storm. Sometimes, yes, as we will soon see in John's gospel. He steps out and says, peace, be still. But sometimes he just says to you, you be still, Jeff. I got this. And he stepped out of eternity as Christ and into our history. We don't know what heaven is like. No one can know. The Apostle Paul actually said it, it's so magnificent that if I were to tell you, you still wouldn't know. But I know this. He left that to be born in a manger. He left heaven. He said, yes, Father, it's time for me to go. This has always been the plan. And I'm going to be born in that manger because I love them. So when we say Christ is born, God stepped out of heaven and into a manger. And he did so as a child. That's why when we say Christ is born, Emmanuel, God with us. Now, he, he could have just left us as some kind of experiment and just watched from heaven. He would have had every right to do it. He created us, right? But he didn't. He became one of us. So everything that you will ever go through in your entire life, Jesus knows what that feels like. Every affliction of soul, of heart, of mind, everything that you've ever gone through, every pain you've ever experienced, Christ who was born came here to experience those things so that you can know He knows. He is God with us. Truth is, had not the Scripture said that Christ comes from the seed of David, from the town of Bethlehem where David was? Yep, that's the truth. That's the truth. That gift that was given by God 2,000 years ago was His own Son, who is also the rightful king of the entire universe. And he came and personally died for you, for me, for us. So when we say 
Christ is born. Brothers and sisters, that is the greatest event in the history of the universe. Amen? Amen. Let's stand and we'll pray together. So tell people about Christ. Tell them the whole Christmas story. John 3.16 is part of the Christmas story, isn't it? Isn't it? John 3.16 is part of the Christmas story. It's actually the reason the gift was given in the first place. Would you bow your heads and hearts? We're going to pray. I want to just ask you, if you're here today and, and you've got an area of conflict, an area that you just don't have peace, and you want that peace, I just want to pray for you before we leave, just for the peace of God. That you, just put your hand up. I want to pray for those areas in your life. See that hand, those hands, that hand, hands up everywhere. You, you really are struggling right now, and you, you just need the Prince of Peace to touch your life. Just put your hand up just for a minute. I want to see them so that I can pray. There's hands up all over the sanctuary. He's gone. Maybe you're here today and you don't know the Prince of Peace, but you want to know him. Jesus said, if you'll invite me to be your Savior, I will do that, and I'll forgive your sin and cleanse you from a... Maybe you need the peace of God right now first before you can have the Prince of Peace work in your life. That's you. Put your hand up. See that hand? Praise God. Anyone else? Would you join me in prayer? Father, these hands, many of them, Lord, just ravaged by the effects of this world, Lord. They don't have that peace that guards their heart, their mind in you, Jesus. And Lord, I want to pray for them right now. And I know the angels are joining in, and we as the body of Christ are asking you to be their Prince of Peace. Lord, would you still their storm? Would you calm the wind and the wave? Lord, would you take care of that great need? Lord, they're desperate and crying out to you for peace in this hour of need and so lord would you give unto each as they have requested lord for those that need a financial miracle give it lord for those that have a family emergency give it a health emergency lord there's chaos and the enemy has robbed their peace give them peace for those that have come and maybe there's more than one or two that don't know you but they want to pray lord that you would place that gospel message in their heart right now, this very moment, that they would know that you are who you say you are. Jesus, you're the only Son. You're God incarnate in human flesh. You came to this earth. You died on Calvary's cross. And by believing in you, we can have our sins forgiven, our accounts swept clean, and our names placed in the Lamb's book of life. Lord, would you save those who are crying out right now for the peace of salvation? Father, we thank you for this season. How beautiful and wonderful is your name. You, Jesus, are the Christ. We declare it loudly and boldly. And it's in your name we pray these things. And God's people said, Amen. Amen. Amen.